The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Lisa Zimmerman. She is a PhD researcher in the Aquatic Ecotoxicology Department at Gotha University in Frankfurt and part of the Plastics Research Group at the Institute for Social Ecological Research. She led a study called Benchmarking the In Vitro Toxicity and Chemical Composition of Plastic Consumer Products. Uh, So we're going to learn basically what's in plastic, if we should be worried about it, that sort of thing. Um, So Lisa, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. It seems like you're doing some very important work because... A lot of us don't really know what's in plastic or if it's a problem or if we should be worried or not. So can you tell us, like, what kind of harmful chemicals does plastic typically contain in their sometimes complex mixtures? Okay, yeah, first of all, um, in the plastic um, production, a lot of different chemicals are used in order to receive the rich properties of the respective product or material. These are on one hand um, intentionally added um, chemicals, like for example additives. These may include flame retardants or plasticizers or colorants or antimicrobials. And then on the other side, there are still monomers in there that did not polymerize. And then furthermore, we also have solvents, lubricants or adhesives in there. And besides these um, intentionally added chemicals, there are also some reaction products or side products um, which are which originate um, in the compounding or there are impurities that get into the plastic during the production and those are not intentionally added. So you see there is a lot of different chemicals in there. On one hand, there's those um, which are intentionally added and then there are some which are like byproducts of the um, processing. Mm-hmm. So the plastic maker might not even know what's in the plastic themselves, it seems, right? If there's an unintentional ingredients? Yeah, that's true. So they usually uh, should know what they um, intentionally put in there. But then, um, yeah, as you said, there are some reaction products or some impurities. Even the producer might not know. How do chemicals release from plastic? So maybe I tell you a bit about the ground structure of a plastic product. So on one hand, you have the polymer backbone, which is, for example, the polyethylene or the polypropylene. um, And that's like the ground structure. And then you have all the chemicals, which um, we were talking about before, which are added. Um, And these chemicals, they are not covalently bound to the polymer backbone. And that means that they can leach or migrate into the content of the packaging or into the surrounding media. If they're not bonded. So what was the aim of your your study? So um, 
But we all know is that there um, that plastics contain chemicals that are harmful to human health, like for example BPA of phthalates. That's um, some chemicals which get a wide um, public attention. Mm-hmm. But then um, plastic can contain um, many more chemicals, and most of them they they are not they are unknown, um, mm-hmm. and we hardly know anything about the health impacts. Uh, and this is why we wanted to investigate the overall toxicity present present in plastic products. So of these chemical mixtures, which are in these products. Um, and for this aim, um, we included a wide range of products and polymer types and also wanted to see if some plastic types or materials are better than others. So to say if, for example, polyethylene is always more safe than, for example, polyvinyl chloride um, with mm-hmm. regards to the chemicals um, they include. Yeah, I've read ab- about tea bags uh, for one thing that, that, you know, there's been studies and they're trying to say it doesn't leach that much. And then in our CBC, I've read articles that it tea bags really leach a lot of plastic into the hot water because, of course, destabilizing bonds. Yeah. So boiling, like why does boiling release these things so much like does it release it a lot more than say if you just put oily foods in a plastic container Mm, so um with regards to your first question um so a higher temperature like enhances uh, the diffusion or the migration of the chemicals out of the product so it goes Mm. a lot faster Um, So you should also, for example, prevent to heat your food, which is in a plastic container in a microwave, because that will also enhance the release of chemicals. And then um, with regarding to um, like the the fatty um, ingredients or the fatty content, this really depends on uh, on the chemicals itself. So for example, if the chemical is hydrophobic which means that it dissolves easy in um, fatty components then um, a fatty surrounding will um, also enhance um, the migration of these chemicals Um, Mm. but then there might be other chemicals which are um, better dissolved in water and then they might not so um, transfer so easily in fatty surrounding okay so it depends on what it is how how did you analyze your research questions? Like what what did you do in the study? Um, we selected a wide range uh, of plastic products, and in total it were thirty four products, and um, which we regularly um, can buy on the market. In this um, case, it was um, in, in German supermarkets, and then we took these products. Um, like for example, it was a shampoo bottle or um, a food container or a water bottle, um, like um, mostly items with food contact, but also some items without food contact. And we cut these products in little pieces, and then we extracted them using an organic solvent. And then we, after we contained or we, we gained these um, extracts, we used a combination of cell-based experiments to determine the toxic effects of these chemicals chemical mixtures we extracted out of the plastic products so um to clarify that a bit so we tried to get all the chemicals which are used in a product um out of it so that we have the whole chemical mixture um which we call the extract then mm-hmm. 
Besides these um, cell-based experiments, we also did chemical analysis to determine the amount, the origin, the function, and the toxicity of the chemicals in the mixture. Mm -hmm. And hereby we also um, tried to include the unknown or the unexpected um, chemicals. Do you think there are chemicals that kind of got through that you wouldn't catch? Like when you're testing for... Let's say you're testing for a flame retardant. There's probably a certain process for that. Um, it, so there are processes for like all the chemicals? So there might be that we did not catch some chemicals because we used one kind of solvent to, mm -hmm. um, to get all the chemicals out of the plastic product. But it might be that some chemicals they are not released in that solvent. Like for, um, oh, yeah. like we said before with the, um, with the fatty content or something that they just, they don't um, re release into that solvent. So it might be that there are some chemicals in the products um, we did not consider in the end. Yeah, it seems like very complicated. It seems it would be easier if the companies just told us what, The chemicals where they were using instead of yeah yeah to do that's it. definitely the case <laughs> yeah because I can't imagine like I couldn't do an experiment like this that's for sure I would not know what I was doing <laughs> but yeah um, but I mean that was the interesting part that we had these mixtures um, and we didn't know what what is in there because um, I also tried out um, from the producers to to find out what is what is the composition but that was mm -hmm. actually not possible and I said okay. Now I have this complex mixture and I don't know what it is. And now I, on one hand, try to find out what is this toxicity of this mixture because um, we can determine toxicity without knowing what it is, but then only mm. from the mixture. And then to, on the other hand to say, okay, but now we want to find out what are the um, single ingredients. And mm. that was not so easy in the end. Yeah. Plastic seems so simple when you look at it. But then, you know, when we talk about these sorts of things, it's actually quite complex and seems a little complicated. Um, you were you were testing for different things. So oxidative mm -hmm. stress, cytotoxicity, estro. Oh, my gosh. I'm not sure if I'm saying <laughs> this right. Estrogenicity. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> and uh, an anti androgenicity. Um, yeah. So can you tell us like what those are and why you are testing for those? Mm -hmm. So um, first of all, to classify it a bit, um, we tested, so these are all different endpoints, and we used cell-based assays to test for them. So we did, um, so we conducted the study in vitro, so meaning we were using bacterial or yeast or human cells. So to only classified that it does not allow a direct conclusion on human health effect, but serves as a first screening whether plastics contain chemical mixtures that can potentially be toxic. But now coming back to your question. So the oxidative stress and the cytotoxicity are um, more like um, general screening, or to say it the other way around, um, are two endpoints which are rather unspecific. So um, we use them to investigate whether the extracts contain chemicals that are potentially problematic for the cells that might interact with the metabolism of the cell or um, induce um, 
or the production of reactive oxidant species. So it's more like a screening tool, um, which um, reacts to a wide variety of harmful compounds. Um, and then on the other hand, um, the estrogenicity and the androgenicity are specific endpoints. These are like um, these are both endocrine um, or hormone-like. They test for endocrine or hormone-like effects. Um, and uh, estrogenicity means that something acts like the um, female sex hormone estrogen. Um, and antiandrogenic means that it, something inhibits the effect of the male sex hormone testosterone. So, and we tested for these latter endpoints um, because. It has been previously be, um, been reported that um, plastics can contain chemicals that have these endocrine effects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm really worried about that because like I'm a mom and so I just don't want to be giving like young children things that are going to yeah. mess with their hormone levels. So yeah. uh, that's one of the main reasons why I use glass or why like I don't give my kid canned food because I know the cans are lined with BPA. Mm -hmm. um, I know that this is like, we're going to save this question for later, but are you worried about BPA? Like, do you have, like, is mm. it, should we be worried? Um, I, I want to put it um, a bit the other way around. So I would mm -hmm. not say that it's especially BPA I'm worried about. So BPA is the chemical um which people associate with plastics and are always worried about. Mm -hmm. um, and it got a lot of public attention and there has been a lot of public pressure that producers phase it out. But the thing is um, that the producers, they use alternatives mm -hmm. that are not necessarily better, um, but are just not regulated yet and which did yeah. not receive so much attention up to date. So, for example, BPS or BPF, or some totally different compounds. So I'm rather um, worried about that these other chemicals don't receive that attention and um, there's no pressure that those are phased out, even though they might have a similar effect or even worse, we don't know. Yeah, it could be worse, which is very scary. And and if you're a parent and you're trying to do the right thing and you you buy plastic that's bpa free then yeah it could have what you're saying bps or yeah. bpf and it might be less studied it might be doing the same thing uh we had a a scientist come on the show who said that bpa is a failed contraceptive <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> from the 19 uh 1940s which is is so crazy i was like yeah. oh my gosh like that's so weird that someone would take it off the shelf like decades later and, and decide it makes plastic kind of. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So so you were testing things. So you basically went to the grocery store and picked up some common plastic items. So were there types of plastic that had the highest toxicity? Like were there uh, differences you noticed in different products? Um, yeah, um, so um, what I said already is that we t tested different types. So these types, um, I mean, different polymer types, for example, like the polyethylene or the polystyrene. Um, but we also tested polyurethane, polyvinyl chloride and polylactic acids. And um, 
all the products made of the, the three I just named, um, of these three polymer types, contain toxicity and induced really strong effects in, in our cell-based assays. And on the other hand of the spectrum, um, like the products based on PET or HDPE, um, where the products with um, the least toxicity. However, I have to say that um, the, the majorities of all the products we analyzed contained somehow or some toxicity. But um, there was on one hand for each polymer type, there was um, yeah at least one product with toxicity. And um, that means that we can say, okay, um, polyurethane, polyvinyl chloride, PLA seem to be worse um, kind of in our study and PET and HDPE seem to be better. But then for the other polymer types, for example, for polystyrene, we don't really know. And then we also tested four or five products per polymer type. So at that point, I would rather say that it's really specific um, to the product itself um, whether it is toxic or not, and not so much up to the polymer type. So it could be the same type of plastic, but yeah. two different items, and then those two different items could vary quite a lot in terms of being toxic. Yeah, for example, you can have one PS food container and then um, one PS yogurt cup, mm, and they might um, contain totally different chemicals and a totally different oh toxicity and then on the other hand you might also have um, two items which, which look completely the same like for example two yogurt cups one made of ps and one made of pe and then one of them might be to containing toxic chemicals and the other not so it's not um there's no chance for the consumer to differentiate um like visually whether one product um, is better than the other um, with regards to the safety. Wow, that's wild. So there's really nothing yeah. the consumer can, can do in terms of choosing different types of plastics necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, I would suggest <laughs> um, to avoid some types of plastics, like, for example, PVC. Oh, yeah. Usually contains a high amount of additives, um, a high amount of chemicals, and for which we also also saw in our our study um, that it contains a lot of toxic um, chemicals or toxic chemical mixtures. And then on the other hand, I would also avoid products. I mean, I don't know how it is. How is it in Canada? Do you have labeling on the products which plastic type it is or not? Yeah. We have numbers on the bottom. So usually you can look at the bottom of something and it'll be like a number one to number seven. Ah, usually. so I guess that's the same um, numbering uh, as we have here in Germany. So PVC would be, for example, number three. So you should okay. uh, avoid number three. And then there are also some plastic types um, labeled or some products labeled with number seven. And number seven um, is can be all other um, polymer types which are not included in the in the numbering mm -hmm. from one to six so here it is not transparent um, what polymer type it is so it, I would also avoid using those yeah and then there are some other recommendations as I said before to not heat up the plastic because that increases the um, leaching of chemicals 
and to avoid mm -hmm. to store your food in plastics because um, the longer the food is in there, the more chemicals might get into the food out of the plastic. And then, as you said, especially it might be uh, more true if the food is uh, fatty or acid or alkyne because that might favor the release of chemicals. And then you, what you can always do, and even if there is no living without plastic today, we can still try to minimize it and buy fresh food or unpacked, um, unpacked products. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of us uh, that are listening to the show probably are on that lifestyle path really is where we're just trying to avoid packaging for yeah. the environment but also for like the health of our bodies right yeah totally um yeah. but then when i might um add something what we also need to consider if we um, take alternatives instead of plastics they might not necessarily be be better so um it's not always that plastic is the worst material which exists so to only also keep in mind that there might be also other materials we are using that might in, in, um, contain some chemicals which are yeah, not necessarily better than those um, included in plastics. Are you thinking about like metals or something or like, um, like PFAS treating paper to make paper hold liquid? Yeah, things like that. Um, but then also a little bit about um, like the so-called bioplastics um, or plant-based materials, um, mm. which are basically, yeah, like the bioplastics are either made of um, renewable resources or might biodegrade in the environment, but mm -hmm. um, they are still plastics and there's still chemicals which have to be used in them. So... Um, Wow. Yeah. You you found some toxicity in bioplastics during your study, uh, did you? Um yeah, so in this study we only analyzed one type of bioplastics, um which is polylactic acid, um PLA, and that's um a bio-based and a biodegradable um, plastic. Mm -hmm. Um and actually um we found in all those four products we found in or the, the chemical mixtures included in them um, induced a similar unspecific toxicity as those included in the PVC. So with regard to the unspecific oh. uh, toxicity, um, not um, the endocrine-like effects, but still they seem to contain a lot of chemicals where we don't know how safe they are. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. So not only could we be getting chemicals in ourselves, but if we put those bioplastics into uh, like, well, you usually need a high heat composting facility, but then oftentimes that's used for dirt or, yeah. you know, um, so maybe we're also getting, you know, chemicals out into um, like, I know that they use it sometimes for like restoration projects, like for rivers or like parks yeah. and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah they usually okay. use it, right? Because there's um, like, especially um, for applications in the environment, also for agricultural foils or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, because they said, oh, okay, that can easily biodegrade. But then even when it biodegrades, these chemicals, they must be, go somewhere. So they, they will also go into the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worry about that with my home compost, uh, just putting things in there and I kind of wonder 
you know, like I've put a paper towel in there before and then I'm like, hmm, <laughs> I yeah. wonder if there's things in that paper towel that's going to like, you know, but I, I probably think. Yeah, but I think the paper should be all right. <laughs> Better than the yeah. plastic um, plastic bag. Yes, yes. I definitely keep that out. <laughs> um, what else did you find out in your study? Yo, I just uh, want to mention that there, we are currently um, conducting a study on bioplastics um, where we screen a wider range of different bioplastic types. So hopefully uh -huh. in the near future, we know more about not only polyelectric acid, but whether these same um, effects are also true for other types of bioplastics. So we can watch out for that. Um, probably coming soon. Yeah, hopefully. Um, okay, but now I'm um, getting back to the original study. So yeah, what I already said, we found a lot of um, toxicity in this product. Might it be rather some chemicals which induce unspecific effects or also some chemicals um, or chemicals mixtures which acted similar to the um, hormone testosterone. Um, but then on the other hand, what I um, said in the beginning is that we conducted um, a chemical analysis. Um, and here what we found is that a product can contain up to over 100 chemicals, one single product. Uh, and that's a, a whole lot when we, when we imagine that. Oh, yeah. And then most of these chemicals, they are um, unknown, so we can't identify them like with our current used or regularly applied methods. So yeah. in the study um, of our product or the percentage of um, more than 80% um, of the chemicals, we could not identify. So we don't know what chemical it is. Mm -hmm. And when we don't know what it is, we, we can't say, okay, this chemical has this toxicity. So that's a further somehow problematic And then what I also kind of mentioned before already or what I found astonishing is that something that looks the same can actually have a completely different chemical composition, like the example with the yogurt cup. And then what um, we further found is that um, we tested food contact materials, as I said, and also um, some uh, materials without food contact. And, and our hypothesis was that we uh, would find more toxicity in the um, materials without food contact. But interestingly, um, also some of the materials um, with food contact contained a really high chemical toxicity. Yeah, it's really disturbing that we don't know what a lot of these things are. Is, is there something that like the producers can do or like is there something we could do politically? Or should there be a regulating body on plastic? Like, is there anything we can kind of do to improve the safety of plastics? Um, yeah, I think there are different levels where we can act. Um, what you um, yeah. mentioned um, already, like we have um, on one hand, we have the consumer. Um, we talked already a little bit about what the consumer can do before. Um, like, for example, the storage um, to not heat up the plastics, to try to minimize it. But um, yeah. the producer can all, uh, the consumer can also just ask for alternatives in the supermarket to put some more pressure um, on the supplier or the producer um, themselves. Mm. And then um, there is a lot what the producer can do. So um, they can 
try to optimize um, the production process or to develop plastics that require less chemicals so that we reduce the chemical complexity of our products. And then what yeah. we also saw in our study, that there are safer alternatives already on the market. So there were some products which were actually safe um, with regard to the um, um, chemicals they include. So if we, or if the producer would make openly available um, the chemical composition, composition of this product, others could use that and orientate on these. So there is... Um, so it's not hopeless <laughs> to, to put it like that. So there, there is already um, good alternatives on the market. But then one mm -hmm. thing would, which is really important um, that, um, or which could help a lot is that the producer um, is transparent on the chemicals they use in their products. Mm -hmm. um, so um, which, which they're at the moment not necessarily are because they kind of want to keep the recipe and then on the other hand, um, yeah, or well, that's why they would, might not make it openly available. Like competition-wise? Um, yeah. Or like toxicity-wise? Because maybe um, they know. I would rather say competition-wise. Oh, interesting. Just to leave it like that. That they, yeah, because if they have a product which they sell well, they might not want to share um, how they produced it. Mm-hmm. And I saw that you spoke at the food package forum, which is pretty cool. So do you see food packaging companies? Are they interested in sustainability or health? Um, so um, actually, I have not been in so close contact with a lot or with a lot of um, food packaging companies, companies themselves. But um, from the little exchange I had, um, as well as from some personal impressions I gained, I have or I can at least say that I have the feeling um, that the food companies are actually interested that their products are sustainable and that they do not produce any harm. But I can, can't give you any percentage um, how many actually are, are caring about it. So that might also depend on the company. But I had the impression that they, that they do care. The problem or yeah. also the challenge they might um, face is that it's also not easy for them to generate products that are safe. So um, that might be on one uh, on one hand that there are a lot of different companies um, which are included in the production of just one product. So there is one company producing the um, pre-production pallet. Then there is a second company, for example, producing the, the plastic film. And then another one is producing the bo box and so on and so on. And oh, well, yeah. Each, during each step of the production, there's another set of chemicals added. And since they don't communicate them so well or transparently throughout this whole processing, they um, might not know which chemicals are actually in the end products. So that's, again, the problem with the transparency. And then on the other hand, there's also the, this non-intentionally added um chemicals we we talked about before which they themselves might not know but then i don't want to uh, let that through like an excuse um so what they could actually do is like to test their products for 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 the safety um like for example um what we did that they combine like cell-based assays 
um, to, text for, to test for the overall toxicity of the chemical mixture so they can even assess toxicity of chemicals they don't know. And then on the other hand, um, use chemical analysis to identify the, 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 the chemicals in there. So so I, it might not be an easy job for them, and they are, um, but there is still some way forward what they could improve. But I would not say that they are not interested in it. That's an interesting point about how packaging can have many different types of plastic or different different parts. Like even a, a big tub of yogurt is like one kind of plastic and then you take off the lid and then it's got like yeah. a like a plastic bag kind of cover that you have to take off. Um, or even like a lot of water bottles, the uh, I think it's like PET that the bottle is and then like the cap is yeah. different, right? So, um, yeah, I've never thought about that, that b- before, that a, a food company could be packaging from multiple like suppliers, I yeah. guess. Yeah, on one hand, these different polymer types in one product and then on the other hand, like that one, even just the, the lid might go through so many different hands and everyone um, adds something to it. And making it really com a really complex composition in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I just feel like we're so far off from like having this all regulated or like have it nice and clean, so we know it's not being toxic. Like it seems like we've got a big uh, a big job to do to make sure that our our food. Uh, I mean, particularly, I'm worried about food because that's yeah. what we're ingesting, right? That's there uh, because it's most relevant for for human health. But then, on the other hand, you also have the environment, right? Um, they go hand in hand, yeah. So if it ends up in the environment like trash, um, yeah, there might also mm-hmm. be chemicals released. But then, yeah, as I said, I mean, there is already kind of hope because there are all these good alternatives, and I think, yeah, it's you just have to get this change started that. The, the chemical complexity is um, reduced and that the safety is considered more into in the um, production of plastics. This is really cool that you're doing all this work. So what got you into plastics? So, um, yeah, I think what interests me so much about it, it's that it's so ubiquitous in our everyday life. So we are always surrounded by it. But still, we we don't know so little about it, like about the actual composition, about the safety. So there are some topics always popping up, like microplastics. But then I had the feeling that these these chemicals in in our products and this um, safety doesn't get the attention um, it needs somehow. So that was um, one thing that is so omnipresent and then so little studied. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, um, the project um, I'm part of is an inter- and transdisciplinary project, like um, you introduced it already, and it's called Plastics. And um, With an X, it's P-L-A-S-T-X. Um, exactly, yeah. Um, you can also um, Google that <laughs> if, you, if you want to find out more about it. So the interesting thing about the plastic project is that it um, takes a holistic approach to investigate the role of plastics on one hand in our society and then um, so the, also the opportunities of plastic and then also potential problems associate, uh, associated with plastics um, and it finds it tries to 
finds solution, but also asked whether the alternatives are better than plastics. So the interesting thing here is this, like an interdisciplinary research that we not only um, focus on the topic from one side, but from very different disciplines. And we also try to exchange with diverse stakeholders in the field um, to integrate their opinion and to like to in the end find solution strategies which are actually can put into reality or which are um, yeah real realizable or which are feasible ob objects also for the different stakeholders involved. Yeah, and you mentioned trade-offs, and I'm worried about that too. So plastic is easy. It's a byproduct of oil and gas, so there's lots of it around. It's, I think, very terrible for the environment. Um, but, you know, let's say we just switched from plastic shopping bags to paper bags, and we have to start worrying about the forests that are going to be providing them and if they're going to be sustainable. And we talked in this episode about the bioplastics, and I had no idea that they had like any chemicals that that could be toxic in bioplastics. Uh, but I did know from another scientist that came on the show that mm -hmm. bioplastics are are almost like just as strong um, as regular plastics in the ocean. So if you just throw like mm -hmm. a bioplastic cup in the ocean, like it's not just going to break down into corn and be like fish food. Mm -hmm. It's actually going to like, yeah, it's going to stay there and, and cause problems and it can still kill marine life and and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I worry about that. Yeah, that's totally true. It does not mean only because it's labeled biodegradable that it um, degrades in every natural surrounding. So for example, in your mm -hmm. example, in the ocean. So it might only biodegrade under certain conditions, like typical composting conditions, and then only if it's under these conditions for a really long time. So Yeah, it's a bit difficult, I would say. <laughs> it is difficult, yeah, because it's it, plastic is so valuable uh, to to people and to businesses and stuff. So it's a tricky problem that we have. But, you know, when you go to some places that don't have any waste disposal um, and you see it everywhere, like on the beaches or in the, you know, rivers, it's it's a lot of rivers are full of plastic at this point. You know, it's quite an alarming problem. Um, but it's been very interesting talking to you about the uh, the chemical aspects because I've always wondered about that. Like we know mm -hmm. that microplastic is getting into fish, but is it a problem? Is it just totally like a neutral substance or mm -hmm. are there toxins that are attached to it? Like what are they doing to the fish when it's accumulating mm -hmm. in them? So yeah, I've been kind of worried about all that stuff. Yeah, we actually, um, there's also an another study we're just performing on microplastics, but there we also put the focus on whether it's the chemicals um, included in this plastics and also um, in the microplastics, um, which drive the toxicity of microplastics or whether it's um, the characteristic of the particle, like the shape or the size, which induces um, negative effects on, for example, um, organisms in, 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 in freshwater. Oh, wow. I, I've heard that plastic can act as a sponge as well. So even if the chemicals like not inherently made in the plastic, like yeah. maybe some chemicals floating in the water could attach to the plastic. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. I 
I don't know if that happens or not. Um, yeah, yeah, that actually can also happen. That um, yeah, that the plastic or that the chemicals adsorb to the, to the plastics and that yeah. they are released at a later point again. So yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, well, yeah, they said it was a sponge. I remember someone saying it can act like a sponge and just yeah, kind of pick that's up. a good uh, expression, I think. Um, so you mentioned a couple things to, you know, we can try to avoid heating our food in plastic or microwaving it. Uh, we can try to avoid storing our mm -hmm. food in plastic. So I have glass containers. I've, I've, mm -hmm. I have a, a pantry full of jars <laughs> of all different <laughs> sizes. And uh, I bought from Costco. I don't, I don't know what would be the equivalent in Germany. It's like you, I don't have a membership, but it's like a giant box store basically. And they okay. sell really nice things thick glass containers, like really nice big ones. And they do have a plastic lid, but I don't pile my food high enough to ever touch the plastic. Yeah. So hopefully that's okay. Um, but are there other things that you do in your life to like to avoid plastic or to be sustainable? Yeah, as I said already, I try to to minimize um, the plastic I use, although it's not possible living without it, but like to, to, to buy um food on, on, on local markets to, fi pi, uh, to buy it unpacked. And then also, I don't know if these uh, ex also um, exist um, in Canada, but in unpacked um, stores where you can pack your food yourself in, um, in for example, glass jars. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think especially um, with food, there are a lot of options to reduce plastics a lot. Um, especially when you th um, think about um, these stores. And then, yeah. yeah, just minimize the contact. I mean, um, as I said, yeah, the, like the storage and then even not, I mean, there are these container, plastic containers which say, which say that they are microwave proof or something. But still, I just avoid these things to um, heat something in the container itself. Yeah, and I don't think anyone's really testing for these things except for like people like you, right? Like, I, I'm sure a lot of scientists are, but I, I just wonder if the companies, I don't think companies are testing their packaging themselves. It just doesn't seem like something they do. I'm sure it's like an expensive process, you know? Uh, I mean, there are some, at least in the EU, there are regulations that they, um, that there are some chemicals which are not allowed. They are listed chemicals which should not be used and plastics because they're known um, toxins, but then they only list like some chemicals and there might be new chemicals on the market which are not yet listed. And then they okay. also not test like the whole chemical mixtures included in one product. So they might test one chemical they use, but um, the um, toxicity of a mixture might be different then um, the, the, the toxicity of just one chemicals because also the chemicals might interact with each other, leading to different effects. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, too, that that can absolutely, yeah. I think we talked about that like a couple years ago on the show, that yeah. we don't know how, how certain things. So, yeah, one thing might not be that bad, but then when it reacts with another thing that's in there, it could do some crazy things that maybe aren't so good. So, yeah, I forgot about that part, too. Oh, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> and complex. And, and very complex. Yeah. And, and like I said, it, it looks so simple when you look at a, a yogurt container or something, you're like, hmm, it's just like white plastic, yeah. you know, but then there's a very big background 
to it and to how it was made. Yeah, yeah. And then what I question myself sometimes is why do we not just need one material for a yogurt cap? Because, I mean, one material seems to be, yeah, to fulfill the function um, it needs to to be a yogurt cap. Why do we need more materials for it? So if we know one yogurt cap is safe, why can't we just take this yogurt cap? But yeah, I guess mm -hmm. that's because there's many different companies which exist and they all want to to make profit and produce their own um, uh, materials. But yeah, sometimes it's an overwhelming complexity out there. See, if there was more standardization, like you're talking about, like if every yogurt cup was the same, then it would probably make it so much easier to recycle them because... As well, yeah. Yeah, you you don't have to sort through the different kinds and all that stuff. Uh, I find that with glass too. We just did an episode on glass and yeah, a glassmaker was saying there's just so many different beer bottles, wine bottles, champagne bottles, um, like liquor bottles and like non-alcoholic beverage bottles that there's just so many, like it's it's just too complicated to sort and return but if you had like one standard beer bottle and Ontario like where I live in Canada we kind of used to do this a little bit like yeah. a lot of the major beer brands they all had that standard brown little bottle and you can return them and then it's su super easy to like sanitize and redistribute them right but if every brewery is using a different bottle it's it just becomes a very difficult program to return those yeah that's those that's true bottles, yeah right? mm -hmm. yeah and the same yeah. with as you said with plastics with the recycling it would make it so much easier to to just have like for example the the ps yogurt cap and also the i don't know polyelectric acid or pe yogurt cap but then i think that's just difficult to to standardize it i think that's not like mm. Yeah, it's a very complex problem. And I, and I love yogurt and uh, I, I feel very bad buying it. So I don't. And then I'll buy like the biggest tub that I can. And it's actually really easy to make as well. Like yeah. if you just put it in some milk, you can get a whole other batch. Um, but then you got to get a container of milk as well. Or you can do vegan. Like if you're vegan and you, you want to do these things, you can make vegan yogurt and stuff. Um, but I just wish there was a returnable yogurt container because it would just suit my life so much and I don't ah. mind dropping it off again you yeah. know so I can bring it home because I found a, a, a company that does glass containers of yogurt yeah but they don't take them back so now I'm stuck with like a dozen little tiny glass containers and I use them but like I don't think I'm ever really going to use 12 of them so I had to stop buying those as well because <laughs> I just have too yeah, many yeah, yeah yeah that's I mean <laughs> Even if it's glass, it would be like um, sustainability-wise or recycling-wise, it would be so much, um, or from an ecological point of view, it would be so much better um, to, to recycle it and not to use uh, single-use glass containers because then you only use it once and in the end, the ecological footprint might be much higher than on from um, than of a plastic product you use once because you just use use a whole more resources for the for the glass container so that's yeah. um, something um also be to considered when um thinking about alternatives like if you not mm. only want to consider the um, toxicity of something but also some ecological footprint um the overall ecological footprint so um there's always like kind of you always have to can, could you say gamble a bit Do you care more about 
the chemicals and then you should maybe take the glass container or do you care more about the CO2 emission and then you might choose the single-used plastic instead of the single-used glass. But then yeah. it's always better to have something which is uh, which is recycled which, or which is used mul multiple times. Yeah, just reusing things is just, it's so great, but it's so logistically expensive for a company to produce a food product and then somehow collect their containers back and then sanitize them and then reuse them. Like it seems like it would save them money, but it also seems complicated. And then you've got to put like trucks on the road or something, you know, to bring them back. So it's tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be easier if they have some kind of incentive or to have more incentive to take to take it actually back and to reuse it. Yeah, we're actually having this problem in the Arctic as well. I just watched a film on this where everything has to be shipped in to Iqaluit, like one of our northern Arctic towns in, in Canada, and everything's either shipped or flown in, but nothing leaves. So they just have this massive dump and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're just not really sure what to do with it um, because and, and, and one guy was saying they even have to fill the ballast tanks of the ship because you don't want a ship sitting too high. But when the ship drops off all the cargo in the Arctic, then it's got to go back empty. And so they have to fill tanks with water. Oh, yeah. And, and when they could be taking garbage back. But it's just, you know, it's a complicated thing. And people have to do it and make money and stuff. So yeah, it's a complex problem. Um, but studies like these are really helpful because they, they, you know, they bring awareness to what we're eating and what's going into the environment and uh, that there are better solutions and, and stuff. So um, this has been great. It's been very great talking to you. So thank you so much, Lisa. Yeah, thank you a lot. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, it was great. That was Lisa Zimmerman. She is a PhD researcher in the Aquatic Ecotoxicology Department at Gotha University in Frankfurt. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.